We are the Mystery History Podcast. I'm Allison. I'm Rachel. Welcome to episode 128 on the Craigslist killer Richard Beasley part one. It's a two-parter, friends. I didn't know it was a two-parter until I got into the meat and potatoes, as they like to say, and whoa, there's a lot of stuff going on. Interesting. It is interesting, and I think we've been kind of missing uh, the episode numbers, possibly, in the last few episodes. Um, We did a two-parter. What was that two-parter you did? Dark Waters? Yeah. And I think we've been messed up since then. Really? (laughs) Uh, Maybe. So this is really episode 128. (laughs) For sure. For sure. (laughs) Got it. Um, there's, there's a disclaimer to this. So the Craigslist killer, I specifically put his name because there's actually another Craigslist killer, um, Philip Markoff. So this is not that, but it will be. I, don't, I feel like one of the stories I kind of know, but I don't think it's this one. Yeah, I would assume. I think Philip Markoff got a little more media attention um, oh, okay. than this one, um, but this one is pretty crazy gotcha just what it's about craigslist is wild man (laughs) craigslist is wild like the wild wild west nobody's monitoring that stuff you can get whatever you want on craigslist i don't know this i'm i don't i don't even want to know these stories because it's gonna make me even more nervous about like facebook marketplace and stuff isn't it (laughs) Yeah, because Facebook Marketplace is the new Craigslist. You can get anything. It on is. There. But again, I feel like Facebook Marketplace is like way more tame than Craigslist, though. I feel yeah. like. Because people like... post some wild shit on Craigslist. <laughs> yeah, I feel like on Craigslist, it, it, there's a lot more sections to, you know, not be in the forefront and kind of do some shady business yeah and facebook has guidelines <laughs> yeah almost too strict the guidelines mm-hmm. but anyway so that All is right. not this one but that he's on our list now <laughs> yes um but yeah we don't have a whole lot of business this week last week we hit you with a lot so what do we want him to do like share subscribe please pretty please with sugar on top Uh, We appreciate that. That's the easiest, cheapest way to help your friends like, share, and subscribe. Um, Tell your buddy who likes weird stuff about us. He might like us too. Um, We are also ready for episode suggestions. We're pretty well good until the beginning of February. Uh, But if you have any suggestions of anything you'd like to hear, let us know. Um, All the suggestions that we received last time we're putting in the show. So we do listen. Yes, we do. And we appreciate. Uh, Yeah, because it's hard sometimes like to think of new things or, you know, stuff we probably haven't even heard of. A lot of the stuff we got suggestions on, I'd never heard of it. So, um, yeah, Mm -hmm. it's always nice to to see what other people are passionate about or interested in and you know at least one person's gonna like it you're <laughs> right <laughs> that is very true um do you have anything else business related that's about all i've got no i don't think so okay well let's go ahead and jump in to the craigslist killer 
take it Let's. away. You started out with a very large picture of a man that yes. looks like he likes NASCAR. He does. For sure. One hundy. Yes. I think all of these people probably do like NASCAR. <laughs> and it's come, it's from our hometown, Ohio. So we can say that and not be offensive. <laughs> yes, we can. <laughs> um, this all of this occurs in the Akron Canton, Ohio area, which is oh, about okay. Two and a half ish hours from us. Mm-hmm. Um, isn't the Rock and Roll Hall or not Rock and Roll? Um, this Football Hall of Fame, I believe, is in Canton, Ohio. Yeah, that's yes. the only reason beyond any sort of map. I feel. And Akron's, I mean, Akron's pretty large mm-hmm. of a city. There's yeah. like mob activity over there. Yeah, you know stuff like that. So that means it's pretty decent. <laughs> decently sized that's how i measure my towns is by mob activity (laughs) i feel like there's a story behind why there's mob activity there and it's not the size of the city but i can't remember i can't remember why (laughs) we might need to look into that that might make a good episode uh yeah i like being alive yeah so (laughs) true and that's very close We'll we'll check the story out first and see. <laughs> okay, but yes, this this character here, he was um an unfortunate soul. Okay. 2011, Scott Davis, who was just our who's 48, just moved from South Carolina back to Ohio and was looking for a job as a caretaker. He found an ad posted on Craigslist that was $300 a week and a two-bedroom trailer. For housing to watch over a 688 acre patch of hilly cattle farmland yeah here is the ad that was posted wanted caretaker for farm simply watch over a 688 acre patch of hilly farmland and feed a few cows you get 300 a week and a nice two bedroom trailer someone older and single preferred but will consider all Relocation a must. You must have a clean record and be trustworthy. This is a permanent position. The farm is used mainly as a hunting preserve, is overrun with game, has a stocked three-acre pond, but some beef cattle will be kept. Nearest neighbor is a is a three. No, I'm messing that up. Is a mile away. The place is secluded and beautiful. It will be a real getaway for the right person. Job of a lifetime. If you're ready to relocate, please contact ASAP. Position will not stay open. So this is like sounds like a vacation. <laughs> yeah. For they really sold it. Yeah. I mean that is a per- for a single man that doesn't have like mm-hmm. any responsibilities of stocked pond you can hunt anything you want like what a what a job to land yeah yep that sounds great yeah i want i want the job i want that job too <laughs> <laughs> i love cows <laughs> uh scott replied to the ad on october 9th 2011 on november 6 2011 he actually went to a Shoney's restaurant in Marietta, Ohio, close to Zanesville, to meet the man who posted the job. This man called himself Jack, and he came in tow with a teenager he introduced as his nephew Brogan. Before leaving, he had left. Um, before leaving, Scott 
had left his girlfriend, given away the accounts that he had for his landscaping business, and put most of his equipment in storage. He packed up his clothes, tools, stereo equipment, and his Harley into a trailer, hitched it to his truck, and he hauled all that to the restaurant. He had told Yeah, he had told everyone he was moving in part to help take care of his mom who lived in Akron and her house was falling apart. So he was planning on um, helping her out and doing some repairs while he, you know, hopefully got this job here. He really went to some great lengths to be ready to go when he hadn't even met these people yet. And in a month's time. I mean, that's very fast to pack up your whole life. Yeah. And just be ready to go. Mm-hmm. If you were getting employed like that, wouldn't you have to meet your employer first? Yes, absolutely. And whenever people like I understand the lure of why you would want like someone older and single <laughs> like it, but that sounds sketchy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like very specific. <laughs> Yeah, like somebody who might not be able to to fend for themselves or has nobody attached to. So if you disappear, no one will notice. That's what I read into it. (laughs) I just read into they want to kill that kind of person. But yeah. yeah. You're also correct. (laughs) You're on the right track. (laughs) After discussing the job, he followed Jack and Brogan to the food center emporium in the small town of Caldwell, where he left his truck and hopped in the back seat of Jack's white Buick LeSabre. Best cars there are, man. Those really? Buick LeSabres. <laughs> yeah. They're like a boat and they <laughs> never quit. <laughs> <laughs> I drove around my grandparents' Buick LeSabre there for a few years and yeah. it was great. I could go as fast as I wanted to, never would get pulled over because it's like... <laughs> I, I guess cops just assume that any, any Buick, they don't even need to clock or something. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah. And when we sold that car, it was still like, I don't know, just like such a good car. Like they would, they don't make them like that anymore. Like I had an no. Oldsmobile Cutlass Supreme in 86, the year I was freaking born when I was White. 16. <laughs> Red <Yeah>. seats. <laughs> Bla- blue seats, but they were like velvet. Blue seats. Yeah. Were they bright velvet blue or were they darker? Okay. It was like I could see the velvet. Yeah. And was thinking it must have been red. But yes, you're right. Blue. And a digital (laughs) speedometer, which like nowadays is commonplace. But from 1986, shoot, that's the future. Fancy. Fancy. It was. Good cars. Anyways, Jack told Scott that the small road leading to the farm had been split and they'd have to repair it before they could bring his truck up suspicious super suspicious brogan was driving and jack was in the passenger seat brogan was a giant even though he was only 16 and jack was tall stocky and middle-aged jack was chatty and was telling scott about his ex-wife his favorite breakfast foods and his church during their exchange prior to meeting jack had told scott to make sure he brought his harley as there was plenty of beautiful rural roads to putt-putt in Mm. so Mm -mm. many red flags you want my harley why are you guys so big (laughs) right why why is the road split like it's just very there's a lot of things truck no yeah 
After about 15 minutes, the paved road switched to gravel, and then the gravel road switched to dirt, so they were getting into no man's land. Scott noticed that he had no cell phone reception. Hmm. Also, Once, no. <laughs> yeah, that's suspicious, too. Like, I gotta have cell phone. Like, that should have been in the ad. <laughs> like, uh-uh. I need to know that beforehand. <laughs> right. Uh, once they had gotten to a dense wooded area, Jack told his nephew to pull over, said, drop us off where we got that deer the last time, he told him. He explained to Scott that they left some equipment down the hill by the creek and they needed to grab it so then they can um, fix the road. Scott got out to help, grabbing his cigarettes and his can of Pepsi, stuffing them into his jean pocket. He then followed Jack down the hill. When they reached a patch of wet grass by the creek, Jack apparently all of a sudden lost his way and suggested that they head back up the road. Scott turned around and started walking. Jack was now behind him. Mm-mm. No. Uh, no, no, no. You lost. I'm lost, too. You go first. <laughs> right. There could be bears <laughs> in these woods. <laughs> I, don't I don't want know anybody I don't know walking behind me in the woods. Yeah, no, I don't. I gotta be able to watch you, or they could walk side by side or something. Like, and then also, how are you gonna just be walking and be like, nope, now I'm lost, <laughs> and have to go back on your <laughs> land that you left something on? I don't well, think it, so. <laughs> it sounds like they just went straight down a hill. It's not like they and were doing some back- zigzag <laughs> motion. They were just going <laughs> down and then back up. Like you're not lost, bro. Like, <laughs> right? I don't know. Scott heard a click and the word fuck. Ah! And mm-hmm. he spun around to see that Jack was pointing a gun at his head. It had jammed when Jack tried to pull the trigger the first time. Could you imagine? No. What are you going to do? <sighs> like, do you have enough time? No, probably not from it jamming. I was going to say, are you going to like run or are you going to punch him in the face? I feel like I I would try to punch him in the face. That's what I would go with, too, because, you know, damn well, I'm not going to outrun a bullet. Like, right. You're not going to get far enough. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Scott threw his hands up to shield his face and Jack pulled the trigger again and it fired, hitting him in the elbow. In the elbow? Oh, my gosh. That I mean, I know I'm just imagining like hitting my funny bone. I'm sure it doesn't feel like that. I'm imagining that like times 9,000. Yeah. I feel like that would Ugh. be, well, well, probably not lethal, the worst place to get shot. Like that <laughs> that and the knee, they both sound terrible mm-hmm. to me. Yeah. Not a good spot. He turned and started to run, falling on the uneven ground. Ugh. Shots kept ringing out behind him as he ran deeper into the woods, but luckily none of them hit him. He ran and ran until he didn't hear any more gunshots and then didn't hear any more footsteps he came to the road and crossed it worried that if he stayed in the open they would spot him and kill him good thinking by this time he was losing a lot of blood but he hid in the woods for several hours until the sun hung low then made his made his way back to the road and started walking how terrifying would that be that would be so terrifying and then to sit there for hours while your arm is like that I feel like you would pass out. Like, even though it's an elbow, there's veins in there. I mean, eventually, yeah. I feel like you would lose consciousness. I don't know. 
He must have wrapped it up really good. Uh, I, I can't imagine. That would be awful. And then to be scared to go up to the road. Yeah. That would be that would be what? also awful. And you have no layout of this land. You know that you drove for about 15 minutes until you hit gravel. Like, I mean, mm -hmm. I feel like they're pretty far out in the boonies. Yeah. Jeff Shockley was sitting in his mother's living room watching Jeopardy, which is a great show, when the doorbell rang. He thought it was strange because they lived out in the woods and generally they didn't have any unexpected visitors. No door-to-door -door salesmen out in the woods. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff sent his nine-year-old nephew to see who was at the door, which, you know, if I don't know. You do. Sure. You do. Okay. You do. You do. <laughs> I tell Evie not to look at the door. Don't go to the door. Nobody <laughs> needs to know you're here. Anyway. Yeah. I probably you... wouldn't. I, I probably wouldn't send my kid to the door if I didn't know who it was, I guess. But I mean, I guess. And, and with the added that they don't get unexpected visitors. So this must Maybe be something. Maybe they were thinking it was family or somebody. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, the nephew comes running back from the door screaming there's a guy at the door he's been shot and he's bleeding right through jeff thought his nephew was joking but when he came to the door he saw a stranger standing there holding his right arm across his body his sleeve and pant leg was soaked with blood the person of course we know is scott scott refused to sit down outside he was very pale and very jittery but he did ask jeff to call 911 I am so glad that Scott's going to make it. Yes. When you said he was an unfortunate soul, I was like, oh, no. Yeah. He is an unfortunate soul, but the luckiest. unfortunate. Yes, I'm so glad he made it. I was very, very worried about him. Sheriff Stephen Hannum of Noble County arrived within 15 minutes. He later recounted that Scott was remarkably coherent for being someone who had been shot and he lost a lot of blood. But what Scott was trying to tell him didn't make any sense. He answered an ad on Craigslist for a job at a 688-acre farm, and then that man shot him. The sheriff did not know of any 688-acre cattle farms in Noble, nothing even remotely close. So, and what an odd number to just, if the farm doesn't exist, like... You just pick out 688 round acreage, <laughs> right? You couldn't just say 700 or, you know, yeah, six, 75. I don't know. 688 is just very random. It is. Most of the land around there had been bought by mining companies. Scott kept telling the sheriff about his Harley Davidson and that the man who shot him was probably trying to steal it. The sheriff thought that perhaps Scott was involved in some sort of drug deal gone bad. That's awful. Yeah. <laughs> but yes. I see why. <laughs> yeah, it sounds weird. But he made a few phone calls to his local informants and none of them had heard anything. He found the truck and trailer at the food center emporium and they were just as Scott had described. So now he believes Scott was a victim instead of the criminal he had originally anticipated him being. Right. Scott wasn't the only person, though, who answered that Craigslist ad. Unfortunately, over 100 people had applied for the caretaker job. 
something that Jack would mention in his email back to applicants. He wanted them to know that this, you know, position was very popular. People were applying to it, but he had a specific candidate in mind, a middle-aged man who was never married or was recently divorced and had loose family ties. Someone who had a life he could walk away from. He would email the candidates and tell them if they were picked, he would need them to start immediately. He's just looking for people that he thinks nobody is going to miss or at least not miss for a while. Yep. Oh, that is awful. Police would later find several drafts to the ad, meaning Jack had painstakingly tried to tinker with the details to make sure it was the perfect ad. He wanted them to envision a cowboy rancher fantasy where they would herd cattle, mend fences, and hunt in the open country. If a woman applied to the ad, he wouldn't respond. But if a man applied, he would ask how old they were, if they had a criminal record, and if they were married. Yeah. Um. So so I don't know how many out of that hundred are were men applicants. I feel like probably most of them were, I would assume. Mm-hmm. Um. But I'd be interested to see, like, how many people he actually reached back out to and to know at that point when the story broke that, oh, my God, like because 688 acres is a very specific amount of land (laughs) like you would remember if you applied to that position for sure if a candidate lived near akron jack might interview them at a local restaurant starting by handing them a pre-employment questionnaire and he would let them know that he was an equal opportunity employer which we know to be false not true. <laughs> he would get them to talk about ex-wives, tattoos, anything really to get them to kind of open up so he could know more about their situation. Jack believed himself to be a street preacher and would describe a ministry that he founded. He would ask them about their qualifications and then tell them more about the farm. Jack would say his uncle owned the place and he had six brothers and sisters, which meant a lot of grandkids could be running around on holiday weekends or during hunting season. Jack was trying to paint a picture of this big extended family, which could possibly lure candidates who didn't have a family, which is so sad. Oh, that is so sad. But also kind of smart, you know, because I would see where that yeah. would Unless you get a grumpy one that's like, I don't want kids running Mm -hmm. around during hunting season. They're going to scare away everything or I could shoot them. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Um, It's a gamble, but it's smart for the ones that would want that. Right. Especially because I feel like um, with a lot of these like back and forths, he would really kind of get to know them to see what kind of person they were. And then he could pepper that in if that was going to grab them. Mm Mm-hmm. If an interview went well, he might tell them that he was a finalist for the job, but if they gave any indication they weren't what he was looking for, he would just end the meeting suddenly and be done. Rude. Yeah. (laughs) David Polly was the first person to apply that met Jack's criteria to the job posting. He was 51 years old, divorced, and lived with his older brother, Richard, in a spare bedroom in Norfolk, Virginia. For nearly two decades, he worked at Randolph Bundy, which was a wholesale distributor of building materials, managing the warehouse, and driving a truck. He married his high school sweetheart, Susan, and adopted her son, Wade. Around 2003, he quit his job at Randolph Bundy after being frustrated for years. He bounced from job to job and couldn't find anything steady. 
He and his adopted son, Wade, got in fights often, and in 2009, Susan filed for divorce. He went to live with his brother and would find odd jobs here and there that would only last a few weeks. Sometimes he had to borrow money from his brother, even for small things like toothpaste. Yeah. He and his brother got along fine, but he wanted to have freedom. Right. He was stuck. He was stuck. And this was a vacation, it sounded like. Mm -hmm. The perfect thing, just what he needed to get his freedom, everything. So... While going through more online job opportunities, the postings from Jack in October 2011 checked all the boxes that he was looking for. He had a friend named Chris Mall who had moved to Ohio a few years earlier and was doing really well there, and it would get him out of his brother's home and give him the freedom, like I said, that he wanted. Polly's email to Jack said this, well, about me, I'm 51 years young, single male. I love the outdoors. I currently live in Virginia, have visited Ohio, and I really love the state. Being out there by myself would not bother me as I like to be alone. I own my own pickup truck, so hauling would not be a problem. I can fix anything, most anything, having my own carpentry tools. If chosen, I will work hard to take care of your place and treat it like my own. I also have a friend in Rocky River, Ohio. Thank you, David. <sighs> yeah. A few days later, Jack responded to David saying he had narrowed the list down to three candidates and he was one of those three. He had a few follow-up questions and asked if he was married, ever arrested for a felony, and if he was chosen, could he start immediately? Richard remembers how pumped David was about the opportunity. He called Jack several times to see if there was anything else he could do to help him make a decision. Jack promised to call David back by 2 p.m. on Friday, and David was waiting by the phone. 2 p.m. came and went, and he didn't get a call. David told Richard that he must have chosen someone else. Yes. Super bummed. But later that evening, the phone rang, and it was Jack. He had gotten the job. He called his friend in Ohio to tell him the good news, and they made plans to drive around empty country roads on his hot rod the first weekend David was there. He also called his twin sister, who hated the thought of him being out there alone, but was finding was happy that he was finding his own peace. Mm-hmm. That week, David went to a men's Bible study group he had been going to since he had moved in with Richard and had been praying for a steady job. Everyone agreed that God had answered his prayers. The church gave him $300 from their Helping Hands Fund so he could rent a U-Haul and pack up all this stuff. So that was really nice. This is making me so sad. Yeah, because like he was having such a hard time and then this was like it was all going to work out for him. Like it was all finally coming together. David arrived at the Red Roof Inn in Parkersburg, West Virginia, Saturday, October 22nd, 2011. He was supposed to meet Jack the next morning at Bob Evans for breakfast. He called Chris and told him he made... He had made it and told him he'd call him as soon as the meeting was over to give him the location so that they could hang out. The next day, no phone call was made. Chris tried to uh, get him on a walkie-talkie they had been using to communicate, but there was no response. Chris called Richard and asked if he had heard from David, so he got the phone number to Jack and called him. Jack answered and told him that everything was all right, and he had just left David and gave him a list of chores but he would pass the message along. Yeah. No. Weird. No. 
A few days went by and still no call from David. He called Jack again, and this time he told him that David showed up to the farm, packed all this stuff, and said he was leaving. He had apparently met some guy who was headed to Pennsylvania to work on a drilling rig, and he decided to follow him. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. We've talked about a lot of these stories that, like, back in the 1800s, people used to play this little rouge, and it would work Mm -hmm. because they had no communication. (laughs) Right. But not in 2011. People are connected. And and Chris and David had these walkie-talkies. I mean, they talked constantly on them. It was like, you know, remember the you even could have a walkie-talkie app back in the Uh day and, like, talk to people. There's no way. I am sure that Chris is completely freaked out by now because it sounds like they were probably in, like, multiple daily connections. And then for him to not call or anything for a few days, no. It would be the same thing with you and I. I mean, if I didn't hear from you and I've been reaching out, like, sometimes, you know, we go a little bit and don't say anything to each other. But then if I call you, you're going to, even if you don't answer right then, you're going to call or text me back at some point. Yeah, that's like my mom. If I don't get a hold of her, she has maybe like an hour and a half to two hours before I'm You're like there. full panic. <laughs> yeah, sending somebody's coming over, somebody's checking in because so no, <laughs> like yeah. I need to know. know. Right. Mm-hmm. Now there's no reason. Why? Unless you're in a movie. Okay, I'll give you that. But tell me you're going to a movie before you go in. What are you doing? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Absolutely not. Chris, obviously, did not believe that story. And he wouldn't leave everyone in the dark worrying about him because he was in constant communication. They'd been friends since high school and kept in constant touch. They kept their walkie-talkies by their bedside and called each other every day before they got up to even brush their teeth, which is so cute. That is so cute. What good friends. Like, obviously, this guy is not going to just pick up and move to Pennsylvania. Like, they had plans. No, they would have definitely said something, at minimum, that that was going on. By Chris's estimate, they spoke about 50 times a day. So maybe there's some codependency issues there. Maybe a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) That just sounds, but I mean, really, if we counted up all of our text messages on some days, it could be 50. Yeah, and it probably would be, but that's a lot to be walkie-talking with somebody. I don't know. Especially, I feel like men, because men don't really, most men don't really like to talk on the phone. Like, Right. So, I don't know. That's cute. But that's an even bigger red flag that since he hadn't heard from him, it's like, what? Yeah. About two weeks after he'd last spoken to David, Chris called David's twin sister, Deb. Deb said that she also hadn't heard from him and was getting worried. Deb Mm -hmm. and David were twins and their bond was really strong. Like a lot of twins are. He wouldn't have left her in the dust with no information. Before she had even gotten the call from Chris, she actually had started doing her own research because she thought it was really fishy. She called the motel he stayed at, uh, the U-Haul place, and nobody had heard from David. She remembered remembered him telling her that the farm was located in Cambridge, and she found a local newspaper article from the Daily Jeffersonian, where a headline published on November 8th said, quote, man says he was lured here to work, then shot. (laughs) 
Could you imagine? Like, oh my that? gosh, I would have a heart attack. I'm on the edge of my seat right now. <laughs> and I already know what's going on. <laughs> uh, there was no mention of the man's name, but that he had been lured to work at a 688 acre ranch. The article noted Sheriff Stephen Hannum, so Deb called him right away. Oh, my heart. This call took place five days after he had found Scott Davis bleeding from a gunshot wound. They had located camera footage of Scott's lunch with Jack and was looking at possible suspects, but Deb's phone call made it appear they had just scratched the surface of something bigger. Yeah, a lot bigger. The next day, which was a Saturday, the sheriff's office called in the FBI cybercrime specialist to help them get info on the Craigslist ad. They also sent a crew of cadaver dogs to the woods where Scott had been shot. A few hours before dark, the investigators found a patch of disturbed soil that was overlaid with tree branches. They started digging with their hands until blood started seeping out and a socked foot appeared. The body was face down, and one of the items recovered from it was a corded black leather bracelet with a silver clasp. Jason Mackey, a detective on the case, called Deb, and she verified that it was her brother's. Oh. That is so sad. I just, how powerless would you feel in that moment? Like, you're in Virginia, probably, I think, or in so far away. Your brother just disappeared off the face of the earth, and now he's found, supposedly, you know, the bracelet is found anyway, on some dead guy's arm. Yeah. Like, ugh. And and to be Chris also, and, like, to have talked to the guy. Yeah. (gasps) Mm Mm-hmm. That would be the absolute worst. Yeah. And to not know, and then finding out, ugh, the whole thing we, makes me sick. <laughs> and that kind of almost like seals his fate, so to speak, like Jack's, right? Because you straight up lied and made up a story. If you weren't involved somehow, you would have just said before that he never showed up or, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's what he should have went with is yeah. I don't know who he never showed up. He stood me up on our lunch date. Yeah, that would have but. been the way to go. But you know, if they if he said that he was stood up, I bet they would be searching for him in that area. Whereas if he says, "Oh well, he went to Pennsylvania <laughs> with some right. guy," they would maybe be searching in that area you- instead. That's all I can think of. But ugh. But you could also be, I don't, I don't know. I'm assuming in like 2010, all of the U-Hauls probably have like some sort of locator on them. I would assume, right? Like to show somebody never came back because one could think if they didn't have that, that he could have disappeared anywhere from Virginia to Ohio. Yeah. So that would leave them on a wild goose chase but i'm sure that they probably do have that technology i would think that if they don't they definitely should <laughs> yeah i'm sure that they that was available then <laughs> yeah yeah so I, i'm pretty sure of... that that would be a big what, problem <laughs> what was that called like a low jack yeah 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 definitely should invest in the low jack 
I want to lowjack yes. everything. Really. Is that still a thing? Yeah. Like we had them at my old job. Um, we had like a GPS system and it would track how fast you're going, how long you stopped for. I mean, it was very accurate. Isn't there something in the cars now, period, though? Probably. I'm sure. I don't know, though. Like, like on my car, you can pay for a like GPS syst- like system. I don't do yeah. that. I just plug in my phone and use Waze. Mm-hmm. But I'm assuming that they could turn that on nowadays. Yeah, right? and I'm pretty yeah, I'm pretty sure there's just something in cars. I don't know. Maybe I just am assuming that and I should not be. If anybody knows about this situation, please let us know because this is a good question. Maybe there's not, because wouldn't it be so much easier to find like all of the stolen cars than it is? Well, I feel like there might be like in a stolen car situation. They probably know how to disable whatever functionality that would be, right? Like, I feel like that's your first Mm. step. Yeah, you're probably right. I don't know how that happens, but I would assume that there's some way. They always, criminals always are on the up and up. We're going to have to look this up. (laughs) And we're going to sound really dumb. (laughs) (laughs) Because we're debating this. Extensively for everyone to hear. We should should take this offline. (laughs) We should. We need to do more research on this particular topic. <laughs> this could be an episode. <laughs> it could be. It could be. But yeah. Oh, geez. But yeah, Anyways, so that. That's just dun, a terrible dun, way dun. to find out for Deb, too. I feel like opening the internet and looking at a newspaper from the local area and seeing that would make me immediately barf. Like, Oh, yeah. That's just an awful way to find out. I mean, at least I'll say that at least the sheriff, she was able to get in touch with him and Mm -hmm. able to get that like process started right away. I bet she's kicking herself in the butt that she waited so long, but that article is really what tipped her off to notifying anybody or who to notify. Right. But yeah. So that (sighs) there, that's where we're going to leave you at in this episode because we're real big jerks. Yep. Now you got this. Come back next week. Yeah, because it only gets crazier. Ooh. But I'm excited. There there are some things to to learn from this. Never or uh, never, you know, never apply to a job Mm -hmm. on Craigslist. (laughs) My last job I got from Craigslist and it wasn't good. (laughs) Allison. shame on you i know um yeah i mean it's not the best place anymore because there are other places to go so yeah, like zip don't do that right Indeed. they're not they're not a um we they don't pay us <laughs> for these name drops <laughs> but that would be a really this would be a good uh a good yeah, tale for them a good ad for that mm-hmm. yeah so yeah don't do that also don't leave your vehicle (laughs) with people you don't know don't walk uphill in front of somebody who you don't know in the Mm -hmm. woods whenever they lie in and say they're lost would that occur to you to not do that because i feel like that would occur to me 
I'm so paranoid about everything. I, I don't, I have trouble in restaurants and nothing's happening to me. Like I have to be in a specific spot in the restaurant. Like, like we are we back che- to a wall. <laughs> yeah. Like we went to Chewy's la- uh, last Saturday and they tried to sit us in the middle of the freaking room. And I'm like, Mm-mm. I was like looking for the next spot. And I was like, whenever that table is clear, we're going to ask to move because I can't sit here calmly sit here. and enjoy my meal because I'm worried about it. And I hyper focus on everything too. Like I'm a people watcher. And if there's like six conversations going on around me, I know what everybody's talking about. Like I just, <laughs> yeah, it's creepy. Isn't it? <laughs> but then like I get mad because other people aren't listening too. Cause I'm like, Ooh, you hear that? You, did you just hear that? And they're like, what are you talking about? I'm like, oh my God, you missed the whole story and it's so juicy. I need to tell you. Like, <laughs> But I can't tell you here because they're probably listening to me too. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I feel like, I, I don't know. I feel like this whole situation was very sketch from the beginning. Don't go anywhere alone or text mm-hmm. people like constantly about your whereabouts. I always, I'm like, I'm going to go pick this up. If I don't hear from you in five minutes, then I'm dead and come find me now. Do you know what's awful too, though, is that they picked people that had to travel to get to this place mm-hmm. and the job is so on the lower end of payment that that guarantees that the person coming is not going to be able to come visit first to see if it's somewhere they would want to go. They wouldn't be able to afford that. That's So true. they would be bringing stuff and planning on staying. Yeah, because a and lot that of them. And buy them time too. A that lot stinks, of them. Because I'm thinking about the fact that I would never move somewhere. Yeah without going and seeing what where I was moving to first but that's really I mean they're in positions it sounds like where they wouldn't be able to afford that and he guaranteed that and they're so excited about this opportunity being Mm -hmm. how amazing it is that they've got those rose-colored glasses on and they can't see like maybe we should stop and think about this that they even need to be nervous about it yeah Plus, a lot of the times, it's not men that get targeted. Like, middle-aged men is not the typical situation. Yeah, no. So, they're probably not used to being nervous either. Yeah, because we are, as women, I feel like, and I'm speaking for all the women in the world, which is very ballsy of me, but I feel like we all have to be that way because we are targets of a lot of different things, not Mm -hmm. serial killers, rapists. I mean, there are many different things that we have to look out for. And I don't think that middle-aged men that are pretty burly worry about that. Generally. Yeah. Yeah. But a gunshot stops everybody. Yes. Yes, it does. So, so, Mm. but yeah. So let me cite my sources. Um, I used oxygen.com, absolutecrime.com, cleveland.com, and theatlantic.com. And there are a couple of um, documentaries that you can watch on this. I think one's called Mastermind of Murder on Oxygen. And the other one is on A&E. I Survived a Serial Killer, I think is what it was. And um, Chris, or not Chris, I'm sorry, Scott. Um, they interview him and this is where I heard 
this is where I heard this story is through that. And it was very like, I was like, holy crap, this is crazy. Yeah. I'll need to watch that. I want to hear him like tell his story. Yeah. Cause it's very compelling stuff more so than we could ever do. Um, so yeah. I definitely recommend that. So, yeah, so that is episode uh, 128 on the Craigslist Killer Richard Beasley Part 1. And we hope you all have a great week, and we will see you next week with Part 2. Bye. Bye.